welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Amen. Let's get to the Word of God. I'm going to try to be brief this morning. Don't say amen, because I'll feel very poor about myself. Amen. <laughs> but I, I want to give you a word of hope. So it's, 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 I'm reading from the, the Acts of the Apostles, and it's Acts chapter 10. And uh, like, I, it's a long reading. I want to give you the background of this. I don't want to give you a little bit of the background to the story so we can kind of fill in some blanks. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? He said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose name is Peter. He is lodging with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So so when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey, they drew near to the city. Peter went up onto the housetop to pray. And about the sixth hour, he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And so heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him, and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creepy things, birds of the air. And the voice came to him and says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, No, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him again the second time and says, What God has cleansed, you will not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision uh, which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And he called and asked whether Simon, whose name was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he who you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them and some of the brethren to drop a, a, and they accompanied him. The following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down on his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he walked, as he talked with him, he went in and found who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how, unlo- how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. 
Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, the ninth hour. I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me and brought clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Uh, your arms have been remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, call Simon, whose name is Peter, who is lodging the house of Simon the Tanner. And when he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent for you immediately. Now you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. And Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation who fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word of the Lord sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all, that the world you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee, and from the baptism of John was preached. Now God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good works and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, and we are witnesses of these things. And he did both this in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, where they killed him by putting him on a tree. Him God raised on the third day and showed him openly, not not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard him speaking with tongues and magnifying God. And Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him to stay for a few days. Sorry for the long reading this morning, but it's a part of the history of the New Testament church, a vital part of our history. You know, you have your Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is, the, which is describing the life of the Savior, Jesus. It's three and a half years of earthly ministry. He started his ministry at 30, and they killed him at 33 at, uh, in Jerusalem at Calvary. But he rose again on the third day. Amen. And uh, then, it, it, you, you, so that brings you up to the end of the Gospels. At the start of the book of the Acts of the Apostles, Jesus is giving instructions before he leaves the Mount of Olives and, is, and, is, and goes up into heaven into the Ascension, as we call it, Ascension Sunday. He's giving instruction to the Twelve, say, I want you to go into Jerusalem and wait there because the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. This is the start of the Christian church now. This is the historical start. Jesus is in chapter 1 of Acts. He's telling these things, and then he is taken up into heaven, and they're looking up. <laughs> you know, he's taken up into heaven, but they have to now wait for 10 days. This is in Jerusalem until the day of Pentecost arrived. And of course, when Pentecost happened, the Holy Spirit came upon these young disciples who were still terrified and traumatized of what just happened because they saw such a brutality towards Christ. And anyone that dared to follow him was facing very similar actions against them. There was a, a fatwa, you could say, against them. There was bloodlust against anything that was siding with Christ. And of course, these disciples, they go in hiding, but they pray in an upper room. But when the Holy Spirit came upon them, something very powerful happened in their lives that they, they took no stock for their own life. They had, there was a 
courage, a holy boldness, a courage came upon them, and they went down into the marketplace, actually into the temple, the very hotbed of, 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 of anger towards Christ, and they started to preach the gospel. And the Bible says that 3,000 people became believers at that day. That was the start of the Christian church. Acts chapter 2. One, Jesus goes up into the ascension. They wait for 10 days in prayer. Chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and everything changes. These men become absolutely convinced uh, of the power of God in them. They're, they're convinced of the resurrection. They're convinced of the deity of Christ, that he is everything that he said he was. And they step in to that marketplace, an unpopular place, to put their heads above the parapet and say, we identify with Jesus Christ, that he came, he died, he rose again, and he's the only one that can change your life and take away your sin. And thousands of people get wonderfully, wonderfully saved. So that's the birth of the Christian church. And the Acts of the Apostles is the history of that church for about 70 years. How that church emerged from a fledgling young church into becoming what you could say front and center of the Roman Emperor. After maybe 250 years, it began to get its roots into every area of civilized life in that world. And so the journey now where you, you begin to see, you know, very quickly... Actually, very quickly in that journey, there is a persecution. 3,000 become Christians, but the Jewish overlords, they, they sanction a, a, a persecution of the Christian church, and it's driven underground on some level. But it didn't stop God moving. Amen. Andy talked about this morning, he was alluring to that we've such a, we have such privilege in our country that we can gather without fear of being dragged out. You know, it's not the same in other parts of the world. You could be out in other parts in the Middle East today where it's illegal for you to have a house of assembly to be called a Christian. You could be out, you know, in, in the middle of where ISIS was and just because you identified as a Christian, they'll rape and kill and plunder and murder. Do you know, there's been more Christians killed in this sense in the last hundred years through religious persecution than in the previous centuries. It's unbelievable. People, it escapes people today because people don't really care that religious freedom is being eroded and freedom of speech is being eroded. But they went into that workplace and the power of God followed them and lives are transformed. And actually, very early on, the first um, martyr of the Christian faith in the very early chapters of the book of Acts is a man called Stephen, a man full of God and full of the Holy Spirit. And they stoned him to death. And of course, there, that was, there was a man called Saul of Tarsus that was a religious zealot that hated anything to do with Jesus. He was a pure Jew of every understanding and his disciplines and the life he lived was a devout Jewish life. And he believed he was on a, a religious mission to extinguish this heresy that a man came to earth called Jesus Christ, the anointed one who claims to be God. And he said, this is a heresy of heresies. And so he set off with absolute guile and, and, and vitriol in his heart and mercilessly persecuted Christians, not just killing them, but throwing them in prison and breaking up families. And on that journey for him, God meets him on a road to Damascus and brings him to a place where he now understands that Christ was real. And he became one of these phenomenal, actually the biggest influencer of the, of the gospel in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But that's the journey. That journey's moved out. They simply preached. And men and women opened their hearts to God. And uh, as a consequence to that, the gospel began to spread everywhere. And now we have here in chapter 10 of the Acts of the Apostles, that's just a little bit of the background, the synopsis of it. We have this, uh, this man called Cornelius, and he's a captain 
of the Italian regiment in, in, in Caesarea. I've been to Caesarea. Um, you know, it's about 130 kilometers or so from Jerusalem, about 30 kilometers from Joppa. And so this man, he, the Bible describes him as a devout, a devout man, a good man. It was, it was very irregular in the Roman system to have someone that was a monotheist. A monotheist is someone that believes in one God. Because it, the Roman thinking, the Grecian thinking, and the pagan thinking of the world around is that there was many, many gods. Many ways to the gods, many types of gods. You go to India today and some say 150 million different gods. Others say 280 million gods. It just depends which Hindi expert you talk to. But everything from rocks to rats are worshipped. And that was the world, the Roman world. They had all their Zeus and uh, you know, all these different sort of gods, Jupiter, and worship planets and inventory gods. And so they had this polytheistic mentality. So it was highly irregular for a Roman commander of, of this regiment in Caesarea. That was the capitals for the Romans. Caesarea became the sort of military capital. They ruled over Israel. They ruled over the whole world at that time, the known world. And so it was highly unusual. I, I said that was the... the, the uh, the epicenter of Roman authority. Jerusalem was, of course, the capital for the Jews, but the Romans, they ruled from Caesarea with an iron fist, and that's where they stationed their army. That's where one of the major battles in AD 70 happened when Josephus led his forces against the Romans after they had seceded from the Roman tyranny. But anyhow, this man is a captain. He's got men under him, but the Bible describes him as a devout man. You know, he, he's, he's a rich, he's powerful, He's God-fearing. On the outset, you would think such a man would not need salvation. I mean, he gave alms to the poor. Alms is that he was a benevolent man. He, he wasn't indifferent to the needs of the poor. He gave, he was kindly to them. Uh, he built synagogues for the Jews. So he's not a Jew, he's a Gentile. You know, in, in the religious ethos of Judaism, it was unlawful for a Jewish man to associate to a Gentile. The Gentiles were looked upon by the Jews as dogs. That was one that, you know, anyone that's not a Jew is a Gentile. That's how it's classed. So if you're not of the blood of Israel, you are classed as a Gentile. So every other human being in the eyes of a Jew is a Gentile. And there was such angst against Gentiles that they were dogs. You know, goem was one of the words they used. And religiously, they were subservient and they were inferior in their thinking because they worshipped plants and they worshipped rocks and they worshipped rats. And, they, and so the Jews became very arrogant with the revelation of God that they had and wouldn't associate at any level with, with the Gentiles. So it was an unusual circumstance. Peter, who's a Christian, but also a devout Jew in the sense that he's Jewish by birth. He's Jewish by understanding, and salvation was of the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus grew up in a Jewish household. The revelation of our Bible came through the Jewish lineage. Moses, the Ten Commandments, the nation of Israel was the, was the vehicle that God used to bring about the salvation of the world, to bring Christ into the world. It was the Jewish nation. The Apostle Paul says theirs were the prophets, theirs were the scriptures, theirs were the revelation. I mean, there was no other people on this planet ever had such revelation as the Jewish people. They saw manifestations of God that were unbelievable, friends, earth-shaking. I mean, can you imagine three and a half million people living for nearly 40 years in the Sinai Desert, miraculously being provided by God with water, miraculously being provided by God with manna? You know, it, it just, it's a phenomenal story. The Bible says the shoes didn't wear out. You know, some people might stand back and go, ah, that's a bit far-fetched. Listen, everything about God is far-fetched, Okay. I want to tell you, that's why we have faith. There's someone that's bigger than 
our thinking. There's someone that's timeless, spaceless, way outside of us, far bigger than us, amen. Far bigger than Mr. Dawkins and far bigger than any sort of ism out there. There is a God that is able to do anything. If he wants to make this world in six minutes, he can do it, not just six days, amen. What, what always confuses me as a theist and a believer in the Bible is that, why did it take six days, God? You could have done it like that, amen. Life has started in the womb just when an egg fertilized, is fertilized. Don't tell me that God can't bring about anything he wants at emotion. But there's always reason in the divine's mind and how he does things. And so th- th- there was this Italian man, this, this, this Roman captain, that he's attracted to something in Judaism for sure. He's attracted to an awful lot of virtuism in Judaism. The commandments are from the Jews, the Ten Commandments. And let's be honest, when you examine the commandments, there's a lot of virtue in that. God gave them. The way they live their lives, their esteeming of family, their understanding of values. The problem is that when you live by a religion like Jews did, you know, and abide by all the rules and regulations, what can happen is that you can get very, um, uh, very, very strong or drunk on self-righteousness. You know, that I'm better than somebody else because I'm such a religious goody two-shoes. I, I do all, I keep all the Torah, I keep all the commandments. And it, rather than, than showing them how fallen short they were to the perfection of God, it made them quite arrogant with their revelation. And as a result, they wouldn't associate with anybody socially. They kept themselves to themselves and didn't mix. But this man was still attracted to a lot of the virtues of the Jews. And why wouldn't he be? Because when you study them, they are a phenomenal revelation came their way. And, and he's a God-fearing man. And in as much as he understands who God is, he fears him. And the word fear is not that he's cowering. Fear is, a, is, is an English word that's used in, in the context of lang- in linguistics to show this reverence and show this sense that I'm dealing with something that's far bigger than me, far more powerful than me, and yet I, I detect within him love and, and kindness. And so there's this, there's this huge reverence in this man's heart for his understanding of God. And so he prays. He's a praying man. He's a giving man. He's a charge of a man. And so he's praying, and you know, the Bible says, your prayers and your gifts to the poor, God came to me and said, they're not gone unnoticed. I think that's wonderful. Jesus said, if you give a cup of water in my name, it will not be forgotten for you. Amen. He says, your prayers and your giving to the poor, in verse 4, says, have not gone unnoticed by God. Cornelius was a man who had real affection for charity work, you could say. He didn't give to justify himself. He didn't give to ease his conscience. Sometimes we can do a trade-off. I'll do this for God, but that, that's kind of a little bit of a buy. I'm allowed a little bit of deviance on the side. You know, I can be immoral, I can be wicked, but, but I'll try to balance it up with some good deeds. That wasn't him. He wasn't trying to justify a bad lifestyle. So I can go out and get drunk. I can go out and piss a bit of money. I can gossip. I can fornicate. I can gamble. I can whatever I want to do. But sure, I'll balance it with a bit of good work. That wasn't where this man was coming from. He battled with his failure like every man does. He didn't give to the poor to justify a wrong lifestyle. He didn't give to the poor to justify his conscience. He gave to the poor, the poor, to the poor because it was right. Because it's just right. Amen. There's nothing else in it. It's the right thing to do. Sometimes it's as simple as that. It's the right thing when you see a need to give to the need and to be concerned for that need and not to be indifferent. And so there was something righteous in his thinking. He didn't give to continue some moral weakness or some sinful behavior. God saw that this man was well-intentioned 
And this man recognized that there was more to life than just giving to the poor. Because in the core of his life, even though he did what he could and went as far as he could, he still needed an encounter with God. <laughs> he prayed. He, he had the good sense to not just be a giver of his wealth and, and a do-gooder to the Jewish faith. He, the Bible says he prayed and he sought God. What an example. What about a man who, you know, he never heard of Jesus. Never heard of Calvary. That's, he never knew what was going on. But something, it tells me that God is always will reveal himself to the hungry heart. Hallelujah. The Bible says, you will find me if you search me with all your heart. There's, there, there, is that, there, is, there is a challenge though. Where is your heart today? Is it for him or for yourself? But this man sought God and he prayed. Even though he was a good man, gave to the poor, he didn't live in a delusional state thinking that by his own efforts he could justify his existence. That's what religion tells you. All religion tells you the same thing. Religion always says if you do our particular sets of good disciplines, so it doesn't matter if it's Catholic, Protestant, Islamic, Hindu, all the world religions, Buddhism is the same. It always says, well, if you do our sets of religious disciplines and then you add good works, you make a way to God. So you're down here, God's up there. So you, you do our, our particular sets of religion, do a few good deeds, and then you build your way to God who's up higher. And, and that, is the, that is, I suppose, the theological base for probably all religion in this world. But there's a revelation that comes to him through the preaching of Peter. And it shatters that understanding. It shatters it completely because Christianity is diametrically different. Christianity says there is a big gap between you and God. Your sin has separated you from God. Your sin has separated me from God. And no matter how good you're going to try to be, no matter how much religious disciplines, no matter how much you give yourself of yourself, you can never make that way to God. It's an impossibility. You can't get to heaven one day and in some sort of evolutionary type of survival of the spiritual fittest and say, I'm here today, God, because I deserve to be here, because I worked harder, gave more was a better person than everybody else and so I stand here today on the merits of what I bring to the table but of course friends we discount that because it never works it's an impossibility where Christianity says it is true though that you're here God's there but I've got good news for you you can't make it to God but he comes to you hallelujah none of us can make it to him and so this good man had to come to a realization that God came to him in his mercy. And he said, I'm going to send you a servant. You know, you need to hear what he has to say. And of course, Peter comes in obedience. And that was a big thing for a Jewish man, reputationally, to go to the house of a Gentile. And not only that, to the oppressor. It's like going to the house of the old, uh, back in the day when we were ruled by some other forces here and communing with them around the table and uh, breaking bread with them and uh, it would be look as seditious and anti-national and all that that you would be even sitting with the enemy and the mindset being kindly and baptizing them but that was the the journey of Peter that's why Peter had that vision that God was showing him because the Jews didn't eat these foods that he saw coming down in the division they were all the Levitical laws and the Deuteronomic laws commanded the Jew to live a distinct lifestyle, not to eat pork, for instance. I mean, I love the Jews because there's more pork for me. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> and so they had a distinct, they couldn't eat shellfish, they couldn't eat creepy things. And, and it was to live a distinct lifestyle, to maybe lift the eyes of people and say, hmm, that's strange, well, why, why is that? Why do you do that? And then they would talk their storyline about the revelation that God had brought to them. 
But so this is presented to Peter in a vision. So Peter's there as a devout Jew as well. He's he's seen all these things that he has never eaten. He wouldn't even consider eating it as a Jew. And 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 so God is telling him that the time has come. It's not about Judaism anymore. It's a new covenant. It's about Christ. It, it, oh, that's gone, Peter. And don't call common or unclean because I'm calling it clean. Amen. So, and including people, not just food, but especially people. Don't be calling people unclean. They're, more, they're, they're no more unclean than what you are. You know, and I love them. And I came from the Bible says the Son of Man came not in to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. He didn't come to, to ram down people's their sin down their throat. He didn't come down to to point out the obvious to you and I, we knew, just like this man Cornelius knew, even with all his good giving and all his good lifestyle, he knew that there had to be a righteousness that came from God into his life. They knew that God would have to do something and work something into him that he did not have. He knew with all his good works and all his good deeds, he could never get to heaven. But Peter comes and begins to tell him the story, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. Amen. That whoever would believe in him, God would not perish but have everlasting life. And the door of Cornelius' heart swung open. He said, this is everything I needed to hear. You telling me that someone else has bridged the distance on my behalf between me and God? Are you telling me that someone else has spanned that gulf that remained between me and my Creator? And Peter says, yes, his name is Jesus. And the Bible says they opened their hearts and the Holy Spirit that fell upon Peter and the disciples in Acts chapter 2. The very same Holy Spirit fell upon them. They began to speak in new tongues. And Peter saw that God was transforming lives even in the Gentile world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's no Jew. There's no Gentile. There's no black. There's no white. There's no ethnicity gets in the way, friends. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God loves all. Amen. And he brings us into the commonwealth of his body, his church. Praise his wonderful name. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we, we preach Christ Jesus, the Bible says, and him crucified. And Peter began to share the truths of the gospel, giving hope to the soul, friends. We can give bread to ease the pain of the body. But Jesus said, I am the bread of heaven. He said, your fathers ate the manna, which was a type of bread in the wilderness, and they are dead. But I am the bread that came down from heaven. Yes. Hallelujah. Man is not just about the physical things, friends. What you smell, touch, taste, feel, and hear. It says man is deeper than that. The need and the thirst of man is the thirst for God. You can have all what this world has to offer and still be thirsty and still be hungry and still feel like you haven't enough. But when you come unto him, Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Oh, what an invitation that the, that the Spirit of God was giving to Cornelius. Oh, what a reception that God in Cornelius' heart. This is an educated man. This is a wealthy man. This is, a, this is an influential man. This is a man that if he's go, going to go this monotheistic route and put his faith in Jesus Christ, the very ones that the, his own Roman overlords put on the cross with the, with the acquiescing of the Jews, of course. I mean, he's a marked man. He's no idiot. He knows exactly what, I, what identification with the gospel means. It will, mean, it will mean possible that he will be ostracized. It would mean possibly that he could lose his job. It means possibly that he could be thrown in prison. Because at that time, anybody that was confessing Jesus was an enemy of the state. That's how the Romans saw it. And that's how the Jews saw it. But yet Cornelius, all his life, 
All he ever wanted was to know the meaning of life. And all of a sudden he finds out that a man who died in Jerusalem as a criminal was the son of God. And he rose on the third day and he was transforming lives and he opened up his heart and opened up his life. And that, that's all that matters, as the man said. There's another story of another Jesus told in a parable. It wasn't a parable, it was a story. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17, this rich young man, again rich, Cornelius was rich, influential, educated, this rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, he says, well, keep the commandments. He said, and uh, he said, well, I've done all these since I was a, was a boy, but I still don't feel like I have eternal life. And you can imagine Jesus smiling, that's right, you don't. You, you need to see that keeping religion doesn't give you that. But I tell you what, it's to sell all your wealth, give to the poor, and come follow me. In other words, can you go to the place where you put all your trust in me? Because that's what makes a man or a woman a Christian. It's not necessary that God will tell you to give up all your wealth. I don't even think it even happens today. I think Jesus was sharing with this young, religious, young, rich, religious Jewish man that it's going to be me. Come follow me. Come follow me. And then that was presented to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. This Jesus who the Jews put on the cross rose again. We sat with him, Cornelius. We ate with him. We spent 40 days with him after his resurrection. Hundreds of us were with him. Hundreds of us saw them. We saw him. He, he, he made a meal for us at the edge of the Galilee. He taught us many things. And only, only a few days earlier, we saw him being transfigured into heaven. And we are here to tell you that he's here to change your life. What is all that I have done for him but a drop in comparison to what he has done for me? All our good works, the Bible says, are like filthy rags before the Lord if we use it to try to justify ourselves. Here in his love, the Bible says, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave himself to be that sacrifice for our sin. Now, Cornelius begins to get it. Put all your confidence in Christ, Cornelius. I can imagine he's thinking, put all my, this is what I've been waiting for all my life to find out the meaning of life, to have peace. And you can imagine when he opened the door of his life, his home, his family, his wider family, his servants, and the Holy Spirit went, and that's all she wrote. We don't know too much about Cornelius, Josephus, the historian writes some levels about him. I have yet to read about those. But we know one thing, that whatever cost was to be paid for him bowing the knee to Jesus, he was ready to make it. It didn't matter to him what people thought anymore. What does it matter? If Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice is great enough for me to make for him. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Now, as we begin to meditate just on a rich, educated, generous, influential man that simply comes and bows the knee to Christ and how the Holy Spirit touched his life. And now for yourself, for your home, for your family, if you've never asked Christ to come into your heart, into your life, Cornelius asked for these men to come into his home to hear these words, and then he opened his heart. If you have never done that this morning, I'm going to encourage you.
whoever you are, wherever you are. If you've been sitting here for months coming to church and you've never really meant business with God, maybe today would be the day of salvation for you. Maybe today would be your moment that you would say yes to Christ, that you would bow the knee. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will fellowship with you. I will dine with you. I will be with you. I will walk with you. We will have communion together. We will have fellowship together. And that's the plan of God's great salvation to all, friends, from the greatest to the least of us. We all come the same road, bowing the knee at the foot of the cross of Calvary and asking Christ to forgive us and asking Christ to come into our lives. And that's the day that Cornelius became a Christian. Up to that time, he was a good man. But that day, he became a Christian man. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning, if there's only but one, that, Lord, is that that spiritual part of the road, Lord, where they have a decision to make, that, God, that they would, Lord, have the confidence to choose you, Lord. And, Lord, for you surely love them. And, Lord, you've already shown your love, Lord. You've demonstrated your love that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that you've never changed. The love that caused you to go to Calvary still burns in your heart today. That there's no shadow or turning. You're not moody. You don't get upset with us, God. You simply lead lead forth a way for us to walk in. And I pray, God, today, Lord, that you will bring many more sons and daughters to that living relationship with you. That their life, Lord God, will be defined by who they are now as Christian men and women before a God that loves them, who died and paid the ultimate price for them. We bless you this morning, God. I thank you, Lord, for the spirit of worship in this house. Thank you, Lord God, for the fellowship that we have in the spirit, Lord. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our midst, Lord God. Thank you for our children this morning that have been taught, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, for the workers, Lord, that are around the church this morning, God, getting ready for hospitality and caring, Lord, and praying with people, God. Thank you, Lord God, Jesus, for, Lord, 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 for the promise of the Holy Spirit that you've shed into our hearts, God, that, Lord, we can, call, we can cry by that same Spirit, Abba, Father, have an intimacy with you, Lord, a, a relationship with you, and I thank you for that, Lord God. I thank you that you're here, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for those that we prayed for this morning, starting with Jimmy Barry, Lord, our dear brother, Lord, as he's getting older, Lord, that you are even touching him now, Lord. For the many that came forward, Lord, that we anointed with oil to pray for a healing, Lord. Thank you that you've heard those prayers, Lord. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for those who are needing comfort, Lord, that you will comfort them, Father. And for those needing their sins forgiven, Lord, we thank you that the nail-pierced hands are wide open to receive them this morning as they come and confess before you, Lord, and confess you as Lord and Savior. You will send into them the same Holy Spirit that you sent into Peter and the apostles and Cornelius and his household, Lord, that today salvation will come to a soul, I pray, Lord, that, that, Lord, that we will not leave this place, Lord God, empty-hearted and soulless, Lord, but we will leave here full of God. We will leave here, Lord, with our conscience clear. We will leave here, Lord, to face our tomorrows, Lord, not on our own, but with you, Lord God. We will leave here, Lord, with a confidence, Lord, that we have found the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We bless you, we thank you, and we honor you for all that you have done and all that you continue to do. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen this morning. To God be the glory. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. 
If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.